Oh, shoot. Yeah. That... <laughs> <laughs> it must have, because I hit it, it must have yep. stopped. Oh, my goodness. Okay. That's all right. I, I'm going to run through this real quick. Yep, we can oh, do this yeah. all over again. Okay. Welcome to the Range Exposure Podcast. My name is Sean. I will be your host. As always, anything we talk about on this episode can be found through links on the rangeexposurepodcast.com website under the podcast section. Today, I have a great uh, guest coming from out of Colorado with Kanaz Tactical Group, Mr. Robert Butler. Thank you, Robert. Hey, thank you, sir. All right, so let's uh, let's dive in real quick into your bio. Uh, to be honest with the listeners, we already ran through this. I forgot to hit record, but uh, he's gracious enough to do it again for us. Uh, yeah, I'll do it again. Uh, second <laughs> time. Uh, again, my name's Robert Butler. I'm the owner and chief firearms instructor for Kanaz Tactical Group. Uh, basically, my, my background uh, is military background. I spent a lot of time in the Army. I did my job. Um, I was a law enforcement officer in the state of Colorado for about four years, um, an auxiliary officer. I did my job there as well. Um, I'm an NRA certified instructor, certified in several disciplines within the NRA. I'm also a chief range safety officer. Um, and I, um, I, what I do for the, for the group itself is all of the course development uh, mentoring of instructors and the primary instructor for the organization. Yeah, so you've got you've got quite a a background and, and quite a few years teaching and instructing. Um, you guys have an extensive list here. I mean, you've got uh, you know handgun classes, defensive pistol, um, tactical rifle. You've got some long range stuff, NRA instructor certs. I mean, you guys have a, a full full list of courses here for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, pretty much anything, anything you could, you could look for, you guys are offering. So, um, so we were talking earlier, obviously that, that I, I forgot to hit record, but you were saying that a lot of your instructors were, uh, coming out of your, your student pool, which I, I just, I think that is fantastic. I mean, you, you guys are, are teaching these guys, um, and then, you know, they're, they're learning from your class and then they get to go instruct new students and that's just I, I don't know I, I don't know why I think that's that's awesome but uh, I, I think that's really really cool yeah we'd uh, we'd uh, talked earlier about uh, you know the military uh, presence here in Colorado Springs several military installations around the area and uh, we do have uh, a couple of our instructors are military prior military and uh, uh, one current military member uh, but what I found uh, not only I mean that's a huge advantage to us obviously uh, for the type of um, you know classes that we offer. Uh, but what we found is over the years uh, we have a VIP program. Basically, it's a subscription program that allows a student to train throughout the calendar year. And um, when some of our students would uh, would rejoin the program and and re uh, basically reenlist into the program uh, for a couple of years. Uh, they started learning better by teaching. So we would allow, you know, it started a couple of years ago when one of the students said, hey, can I teach this? I'm really interested in, you know, this particular part of this class. Can can I try to teach it? Uh, so we basically allowed him to teach that part of the class. And it kind of evolved into a lot of those VIP students getting together and saying, hey, you know what? We I, I think we'll learn more effectively and more efficiently if you'd let us assist a little bit in some of these classes uh, so the, evol the, the natural evolution was we basically started allowing some of our students to teach portions of classes, obviously with an instructor there with them, uh, and then started mentoring them. And, uh, one of my, uh, primary assistants right now, Zach Hester has been with us for about three years. 
Um, and he basically started that way. Uh, he became an NRA certified instructor uh, and is now teaching almost all of my introductory to handgun courses. Um, so it's been, it's been a huge success and it's, it's pretty cool to see, you know, um, the students learn, uh, by assisting other people as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I know when, you know, I, I was in the military, I mean, we had, uh, when, when I got to teach things, that's how, just like you said, I mean, you, you kind of learn the best way that way, uh, by teaching others. I mean, you can, you can progress so far by yourself and when you kind of step back and you're, you're showing others, I mean, you get to you kind of learn a whole different aspect of it from, from that area. Oh yeah. Yeah. Learn by doing and then learn by demonstrating and learn by teaching. You know, it's uh, one of those things that we started doing, like I said, purely by accident, but it's worked out great for us. Hey, that's, I mean, that's, that's incredibly, absolutely. I mean, you get to gain an instructor who already knows your courses and uh, maybe can add a little bit of something and you can take your attention and focus it elsewhere on the business. That's, that's, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, um, what really, what really got you into firearms training? I mean, was it, was it being in the military? Was it being, uh, you know, law enforcement? I mean, what, what really got you like, I need to, I need to open up a training academy. I need to do this. Yeah, there was a couple things actually. I mean, part of it, obviously there's a natural progression from the military into a civilian, uh, into the civilian world and, and, and a natural interest in firearms. And I, I think that's pretty common for most people coming out of the military. Um, I also actually have a little bit of an education background. I was actually chief information officer at Colorado Technical University for some time. So uh, I went to college. No, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, I, I kind of, you know, took took that uh, uh, a little bit, you know, on the education side of thing. And, and I'm, I'm a very analytical kind of person. Right. So uh, I always question why. Uh, and I got pretty interested in firearms. Uh, Obviously, long, long time ago, I was 13 years old and I was in a World War II reenactment group when I was a kid. So I'd always been, you know, into firearms uh, on the, and then on the education side as well. Uh, after the military and after my military career, uh, I decided I needed to go down and get a concealed permit. So I took a concealed handgun permit course. And, uh, you know, when I took that course, I'm I, like I said, again, I'm a very analytical person and I always ask why. Why are we doing this? Why do I need to, why do I need to grip the gun this way? Why do we need to stand this way? Why do I need to do these things, uh, you know, that you're teaching me? Um, and I didn't feel like I really got anything out of it. So uh, I kind of, after the class, um, you know, kind of went home and, and started thinking about some things about, you know, really, what did I take away from this class? And um, thought about how I could do something, do it better. Uh, so that was really kind of the thing that kind of, that was the, the, the spark that kind of triggered me into moving into the firearms training industry itself was, uh, you know, I didn't feel like I had learned anything from my first class. So it wasn't a very positive experience. Um, uh, and I wanted to change that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I, I can, I can feel you there. I'm sure a lot of people do. I think that's, you know, one area we as a, a community kind of lack in that you know, poor instruction with sometimes the only class people ever take just because it's required by the state. Um, and it, it, it can leave a bad taste for some people. Uh, but I'm glad you, you were like, Hey, I need to, I need to change this. Cause what I know from your, your, uh, your classes, they're, they're not like that at all. No one, I don't think anyone I've talked to has walked away and said, I, I don't think I learned anything. 
Yeah, we, we try to, we, we uh, actually go through an after action review on every single class. And we have since, um, you know, our first class um, was uh, circa 2011 um, as a full-time training academy. Uh, every single class we go through an after action review and we talk to the students about, you know, uh, something that they felt they did well, something that they felt they can improve on and something that we can improve on as instructors. And uh, I can tell you that's been a huge benefit to us uh, because students are very, very honest with us in, in class and what we can improve on. And it's actually evolved all of our classes. Every single class that we offer uh, is either new uh, or has been edited several times based on student uh, feedback. So we, we take that feedback very seriously. Uh, we also take the, the personal feedback very seriously. So if we did something as an instructor, that somebody wasn't comfortable with, we take that back and, and evaluate that. And, and that's been, that's been huge for us as well. Well, it definitely seems like it's working out for you. I mean, you guys have sold out courses every, every time I go to look when I was in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're sold out now. I think I've got our, um, our carbine one course, which is our uh, second level uh, rifle course. Uh, is sold out. Uh, I think we've got um, all of our November dates are sold out and we've got one December date sold out already. That's crazy. I mean, that's that to me, I don't know. To me, that's mind boggling because I've, you know, I've done, um, you know, I had to try to run some very minor uh, courses and it seems like it's hard to get people in for training, but you guys have just people lined up uh, to get your, get in the door, get your classes done. So what, what do you find is your most popular class i mean i know you guys probably run that um that carbine one a lot i think i see and then you also do um like defensive handgun one a lot are those kind of your most popular classes uh yeah the uh we actually well there's a little bit of shift and i think we're going to talk about that later but uh the the most popular classes that we typically run are the defensive pistol one course and the uh the the carbine one course uh, which is actually our second level of each of those courses. We have an intro to defensive handgun and an intro to uh, to, to rifle course that we run as well. Uh, those are typically the two most popular uh, that we have right now. Okay. All right. Um, so I did throw this one in there uh, just because I was, I was doing some research and just looking at all the classes, bring me up to speed. Uh, what's your favorite class to teach? My favorite class to teach? Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, my favorite class to teach is probably the uh, the defensive pistol two and the carbine two class. Okay, a little uh, bit more advanced stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a little bit more advanced, uh, you know, and and probably the reason it's a little bit easier for me to teach is because uh, you know we have a certain expectation coming out of the level one classes. Uh, and I can really start to challenge the students in the level two classes, whereas the level the the intro classes and the level one classes, we have to take a, a little bit different approach to how we teach those. So, okay, yeah. all right. All right. So, um, when you're kind of moving on to to kind of your own training, um, how much um, do you get? Are you able to get out? Do your own? Do you use just the classes? And what are you? What kind of drills are you typically doing if you're out on your own? Just um, you know, got some free time. Uh, I'm typically at the range four days a week. Um, so, uh, most of that is teaching, but when I'm not teaching, um, typically, and you're going to kind of laugh at this, I train what I suck at. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. you should, right? Yeah, we don't exactly. like to do it, but we should. Yeah. There you go. 
But no, uh, typically I, I go out with a plan. I mean, if I if I've got uh, if I've got something I want to work on that day, um, you know, I'll, I'll go out and work a lot of speed versus precision exercises. Um, I actually do a lot of physical training stuff because I'm I'm 53 years old now, and and uh, I've got to I've got to stay you know kind of physically motivated with things. So I do a lot of uh, a physical uh, activity on the range uh, in addition to just the shooting. Um, uh, when I have a training partner there, we do a lot of decision-making kind of stuff, threat assessment, threat recognition, sure. things like that. I work barricades quite a bit, um, you know, things of that nature. But it's specific, quote, drills uh, that one would assume, you know, like the uh, we, we have one of our own we call a hex hell drill, which is uh, something that, uh, that uh, helps you with balance at speed versus precision. Uh, kind of thing. I like doing those kind of things uh, okay. and, and kind of challenging myself uh, through time and, and, and just physical exertion. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can tell you that from the 10 years, the decade I haven't, uh, from my like first deployment, I I noticed that those 10 years, so I can definitely imagine uh, just how it's going to continue to go for me um, and trying to stay physical. Uh, I like that though, getting, bringing your physical fitness out to the range as well. I mean, you know, for a guy like you who's out there for four times a week, you kind of have to, right? I mean, you spend a lot yeah. of time out there. Um, so if you can't, uh, if you can't get out to the range, uh, you know, obviously we've had a lot of this COVID stuff going on. We still, you know, have a lot of these, uh, issues. Um, uh, what do you, what do you kind of do at home? I mean, I think every episode so far I've had, we've talked about, uh, you know, dry fire has been brought up. Is there anything, you know, are you also, do you have targets taped to your walls? I mean, do you, do you do that, <laughs> that kind of stuff as well? Uh, Actually, I was going to, I kind of thought I'd be a little bit different on this one because I do a lot of boring stuff when I'm, uh, when I'm at home because I'm on the range so much. Yeah. Uh, Fortunately for me, this is my career and this is my uh, full-time job. So uh, when I get home, I I have to do the boring stuff. I work on course development. I work on marketing. I work on course update changes, course updates, changing courses, uh, things like that. In fact, today... I spent the entire day looking for a sign language interpreter for a hearing impaired student that were that signing up for a class. So uh, oh, wow. I, I really don't do anything exciting like draw strokes and you know and, and dry fire exercises and things that uh, you know typically people would uh, would do uh, at home and stuff that we do encourage our students to do, obviously. But sure. I have, I, you know, I have to do these things on the back end and, and then I have to, and then I have to take some time off and that doesn't happen very often. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess that's true. I mean, it's good to get a perspective of someone who does this day in, day out. Like, you know, for someone like me who gets to, I don't know, run a podcast and kind of go to the range every chance I get, um, you know, I'm, I'm constantly thinking while I'm doing my normal day job, like, how can I, how can I become better when you're like, how can I make my, my normal day job better? How can I make my classes better? I think that's, I think that says a lot. Um, and I think it shows in, in, you know, what your students have to say from those I've talked to and, uh, and from, uh, your business. I mean, obviously it's, it's selling really well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so what's, um, so a lot of people, um, you know, when they go to a range, I know, uh, like even just basic classes that I've taken or, or, uh, gone to, I mean, it seems like there's always somebody or people who, who just kind of don't know, right. They get, they get in above their heads or, Maybe the class, like they thought it would be a little bit intro, but it's not. Um, and they're just kind of missing stuff. What do you see um, a lot of times that you think people should really just have when they come out to your range that you're like, oh, yep, uh, you know, I had two people who didn't show up with this again. Uh, 
Well, interestingly, you brought up a good a good thing uh, that kind of segue into a couple of, a couple questions here, I guess. Uh, uh, one of the things you said or just asked was about you know maybe they thought the class was going to be something different than what it was. Um, we we get a lot of phone calls from people who have taken training elsewhere and taken substantial amounts of training, um, and a lot of times they. And I'm not going to say this is everybody, but a lot of times people tend to overestimate their level of ability. Uh, you know, I spent quite a bit, quite a few years in the military, and I didn't spell pistol, for example, the entire time I was in the military, right? Sure. <laughs> yep. uh, so, so I didn't know how to shoot a pistol when I got out of the army. But, uh, but people uh, tend to kind of overestimate themselves and try to put themselves into a into a class that they really don't, they may not fit into. Uh, so there have been times when people have, uh, <clears throat> and we don't really allow it anymore, but they would sign up for like, say, Defensive Pistol 2, uh, come out to Defensive Pistol 2, and we'd actually have to ask them to leave and come back and, and, and start with Pistol 1 because they were uh, so far behind the power curve uh, when it came up to that. Um, but uh, as far as things that people um, are missing when they show up to class, uh, we're pretty clear about, uh, you know, before class, we put out a, a welcome a welcome letter for every single class, uh, and we try to keep our website relatively updated on what is required for the class. Um, a lot of times people forget simple things. They forget food. They forget water. They forget cold weather gear. They forget gloves, Right. And, um, probably I think the biggest thing is, um, I, I holsters. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. Holsters. I mean, I, I, we, we begged them not to bring out the, uh, you know, the uncle Mike's, uh, you know, <laughs> sure. nylon things and, and here they come with their, with their holsters that don't fit in gear that just doesn't work for them. Um, inversely, we see a lot of times where they'll bring out too much gear or things that just don't work uh, in a defensive application. So, but okay. yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny you mentioned the, the pistol in the army thing, cause obviously we, we both lived in a military town. Uh, we were both in the military and a lot of that, uh, there's a lot of, uh, confidence, uh, in your firearms ability, uh, from a lot of military guys. And it's not always true. Sometimes, uh, it, I, I actually went the first, I, it was like my second day at my unit. They threw me on a bus, took me out to a pistol qual range. I never, I've never held an M9 in my life. And they're like, go qual with this. So that was my pistol instruction. And I don't think I ever did another qual again. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think I saw, I, I think I saw an M9 once and I, I was, a, I was a combat engineer for a long time and, and uh, an artillery guy for a while too. So, uh, but yeah, I think I saw one. I think I was like jealous of the officers that got to touch one or something, you know, but, and then, and then I owned one. I'm like, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're just, they're chow hall weapons, what you put yeah, on just there. to get your food. So you don't have to carry your rifle. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So here's, here's kind of a big thing in the industry. I mean, um, you know, optics and red dots on handguns, obviously that's kind of taken over. Are you seeing the benefits from your students who are either taking the same course and come back with a red dot or who have transitioned to that or new students coming in? Um, are you kind of seeing that, uh, you know, benefit a lot of these guys or do you see it just kind of as, um, you know, that no better than irons? Well, I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of old school uh, and I'm going to surprise you a bit here. 
up until about five years ago, I ran irons only on my, on my rifle. And I was one of those guys. I was like, man, if you can't shoot iron sights, you can't shoot. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, then, then somebody sponsored me and I got forced into, uh, <laughs> running optics <laughs> on my, on my rifles. Right. Well, what I found was, uh, you know, having, having that base of knowledge, uh, running the iron sights and, and having the fundamentals very, very solidified, uh, that tool made my shooting a lot better. Right. Uh, so what I'm seeing in pistols is kind of the same trend, right? Uh, I, I, you know, obviously we grew up on iron sights and, 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 uh, the, the red dot sights are, uh, not new by any stretch because mm. they've been around for decade, but, mm -hmm. or more, um, but now they're generally accepted. Uh, so what I've found in my own training is that uh, it's actually making it easier for me to shoot. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting faster. I'm getting more accurate shots. I can shoot in more uh, unorthodox positions, uh, working around vehicles, things like that. Um, has been, has, has made it, uh, the dot has made it much easier for me to, uh, to be more, more effective and more efficient with, uh, with the handgun itself. Um, that being said, it does take a little bit of training, just like, uh, working with irons, but, uh, you know, so I don't discourage students, uh, from, from bringing, uh, you know, uh, optics out on their handguns. I just, uh, I, I see it as the same thing as the rifles. It's a natural progression. I think that's where everything's going. Um, so I'm not going to stop students from, from even starting there. So, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know. Again, back to the military. I don't. I think they they're putting red dots on rifles or carbines right out right out of the gate now. So right. Um, yeah. Who knows if that will be the way of pistols? But uh, I know I I prefer it, and you know it didn't take me long to pick it up. Seems like some people it takes a little bit long. Um, I, I don't know if it's training habits or just or or what. But um, I really enjoyed it when I first put it on. I was one of those guys who just dove right into it. Um, yep. I really like being able to focus on target instead of that front. You know that front sight, which is that that's my favorite thing about it. Yeah. And, and, you know, even, uh, you know, even, and that's when, you know, you, you say focus on threat. I mean, we, we do get threat focused obviously when, uh, when, when shooting in the, in the old school point shooting was just a dogma that never worked. Uh, <laughs> right. you know, so, you know, basically when we run, uh, we're in classes and, and we run classes and we, we force students to threat focus and I want them to at least acknowledge the front sight exists, but I don't want them dwelling on the front sight. Uh, in our in our early classes, for example, they focus on front sight is an easy thing for them to do because they're standing on the square range. Uh, but once we get out of that and we get into the classes where they have to to you know move or they have to uh, identify the proper threat and engage it possibly from barricade uh, and whatnot, what they find is they're actually starting to focus even on the piece of paper that's not shooting back at them instead of the front sight. So. Where what we teach is actually looking through your sights, mm -hmm. acknowledging the front sight exists, but your your focus is still on threat, uh, which makes the transition to the dot very very easy for a lot of our defensive shooting students, uh, because we're not that you know you have to focus on front sight. Now if I'm mm -hmm. taking a 25 yard shot at a you know Bianchi Cup target, yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna focus front sight. Uh, but the reality is natural body responses to a threat's not going to allow you to do that. Right. Absolutely. Um, because it just doesn't happen. 
No, I mean, and there is, you know, there is a distance and speed, you know, uh, a trade-off for sure. I mean, when oh, you've yeah. got a, you got a threat closer to you, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. and again, your eyes are going to be drawn to it, but you know, I did hear, um, on Instagram that point shooting was just fine. So I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, good about Lord. That. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I heard it was. Uh, no, we, we right. teach, we teach, uh, we teach more scientific, uh, I mean, there's a lot of science behind this stuff. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I uh, actually took a biomechanics class to learn how the body responds to certain things, and 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 really? uh, when when you apply muscular force to an object, how that object reacts and responds, and how muscle groups, uh, you know, opposing muscle groups work together, et cetera. So uh, that's the kind of stuff we actually teach in classes. Uh, so that's all. That's great. Yeah. And when we go into, um, let's say, for example, the the optic, I mean, uh, it's really super easy for students to pick up if their their draw stroke is correct. For example, if your draw stroke is correct, the dot is almost a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. It just appears in your line of sight the way the front sight would appear. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your draw stroke's messed up, that's when we kind of see guys' heads move around, kind of searching and digging for the dot and stuff. Sure. So. And I think you know, from the, the classes that I've been to, I think that it's kind of something that guys kind of screw up right out of the gate as they, uh, you know, putting themselves in a better position than they think they are. Um, and they can't even get something like a draw stroke because no one's really watched them. They haven't put in the time to, or money invested. And then they go to try to run these high speed courses. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't have the fundamentals down and that's right. it. Yeah. I see a lot of that, but sure. Yeah. All right. Um, what is, uh, with all this COVID, I mean, obviously we have ammo shortages. I know you guys, uh, you have access to some, I've seen you post, uh, some ammo and stuff like that. You guys have your FFL now, but has it really, I, I guess not. Cause you guys are, you guys got classes booked until December, but, uh, how, I mean, is it affecting your students? Have you seen a drop, but is it coming back now? Uh, well, I tell you, uh, we learned from the first panic way back in 2012 2013 you know after post sandy hook Mm. panic that that Mm. happened that almost actually put us out of business oh wow um you know because there was just no ammo to train with so uh we do stock um uh, ammunition here locally for sale to students that are taking classes with us we have limited inventory you know I've, i've i've called in tons of favors and um you know things like that so we can actually you know, at least provide students with ammunition at a reasonable price under what you're going to find on the ammo seek and all that. Um, is it coming back? You know, I don't know. I, I, uh, my allocation right now is only about 3000 rounds a month uh, of nine millimeter. And I mean, and we shoot 25, 30,000 rounds a month. So it's, uh, it's kind of tough. Uh, it's been tough for students, um, as well. But what we're encouraging our students to do is once they get signed up for a class, we're we're trying to let them know to go ahead and try to source your ammo now and don't rely on us because we may or may not have availability uh, by the time the class rolls around. I mean, the ammo's out there. It's just right now it's at a premium. You're going to pay for it, um, unfortunately. Uh, but if you stay on it <laughs> yeah. and we give people I've, the I've tools, seen, you know, yeah, the ammo seek and all that, lately. and, you know, to, to try to keep uh, – you know, keep looking and, and, and get lucky, you know, um, and source the ammo early. That's a big thing. Sure. Okay. Um, new shooters. So with that COVID, I mean, obviously we've had uh, record gun sales. Are you seeing or new students? Are they actually getting out and training with you guys? I mean, and are they, or are they just, you think they're just hanging out, hoping that they don't have to use that gun because they really don't know how to. Uh, 
Interesting uh, th- that you bring that up. Uh, back uh, back last year, before all of this started, I used to put uh, intro to defensive handgun courses and intro to AR courses and, you know, our back to basics pistol courses, uh, basically our very, very fundamental courses. I'd put those on the calendar so I could have a day off. <laughs> right. Um, now, um, they're selling out. Um, I have an average of anywhere between eight and 12 people in those classes per class now, uh, where, and those are all relatively new shooters now, uh, that are taking those classes. So yeah, I'm seeing a huge uptick in, uh, in new shooters that are coming out and training, which is actually very encouraging because, you know, when we see an uptick in gun sales, uh, you know, when people going out and panic buying and, and, you know, uh, ammunition, things like that, we're as a firearms trainer, I'm, I'm hoping that they're coming out and training. And what I'm seeing, at least at uh Kenos group is, is we are getting those new shooters in. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's absolutely encouraging because the joke right now is, you know, wait a few months and you'll be able to buy uh, unused guns for cheap, uh, you know, in gun stores. So it, it's nice to hear that people are actually spending their money on training as well. Cause um, I think, you know, anyone who's serious about it, you know, we all know how important it is to go out and uh, actually take some courses and, and, and learn it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's like I said, it's encouraging to me too. I mean, yeah. I, you know, and it's, and it's people from all walks of life. I mean, I've got, you know, students that are coming in or their attorneys or doctors, uh, you know, tons of IT guys, you know, uh, you know, uh, blue collar yeah. workers, white collar workers. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's just normal everyday people that, sure. uh, that, that don't fit any kind of mold. They're just normal people that are interested in self-defense that, uh, that are coming out and training, which is really super cool. Hey, it's good for you. Uh, it's good for our community. Cause you know, obviously we, we have the battle on politics as well. And hopefully that kind of aids us in that, in that direction as well. Um, but who knows? We'll, I guess we'll see. Um, so do's and don'ts. I know, you know, when I was getting ready for my first class, like, I mean, I was, I was a little bit nervous just so okay. that cuts it off. All right. Um, so I'm trying to get you out of here. I know I, I've taken up your time. So oh, you're um, fine. do's and don'ts. Uh, I know when I was, when I was going out, uh, looking at taking my first class, I mean, it's kind of intimidating. You don't know what to expect. Uh, it's something you're new at. You don't know if you're going to be good at it. Um, it, I mean, firearms are, just inherently dangerous. So there's always that aspect as well. What do you, what do you kind of see, um, you know, and what, what you do like to see from a new student, what you don't like to see from a new student. Okay. Um, basically when we open up, especially with, uh, the, uh, the newer, the newer students, right. The, the intro type classes, um, we open up with like our egos parked. Right. Um, and that's one thing I don't have, I don't have an ego. Right. And, and none of my instructors do either. We're very, very approachable. Uh, ask a lot of questions, right. Ask us why, right. Conceptually, why am I doing this the way I'm doing it? Uh, there, there's a concept in education called andragogy and it's how adults learn. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it, it relies on a basic understanding of why, you know, uh, so we encourage up front our students to ask why, right? If they don't understand a concept, don't just take it a- as gospel because Robert said so. And you think Robert has a lot of experience. Make make me tell you why we're doing this. Um, so they have a better understanding. So ask a lot of questions. If you're not clear about a concept, ask a lot of questions. So we really encourage that 
uh, you know, that, that level of interaction up front. Uh, I expect all of my instructors to understand why they're teaching what they're teaching. Uh, if they don't understand why they're teaching what they're teaching it, they're, they're, they should not be teaching it. Uh, any instructor that cannot explain why you're doing something the way you're doing it, and there's no science behind it, and there's no logical reason behind it, behind it. it's dogma. It's something you've heard on the internet, whatever. You know, if there's no reason behind it, you can't teach it. Okay. So we encourage our students to ask a lot of questions. Um, you know, park your ego. Uh, it, you know, if you do have a little bit more experience than most, I mean, I've been to classes where, and I've got, I've sat through NRA basic pistol courses as a student and not told anybody who I was or what I did or anything else. And I learned something, right? Mm -hmm. Not once did I come out and say, Hey, I'm an instructor. I teach, you know, uh, and I learned I'll, something, I'll right? Yeah. So, uh, park, park your ego. You're going to learn something. I teach a lot of guys from a lot of different uh, backgrounds. I, 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 I teach a lot of security officers. I teach a lot of law enforcement officers, military guys, and, you know, 78 year old grandmother. So, um, you'll always learn something. Um, come in with an open mind, uh, when you, when you come to our classes, um, especially if you're an older shooter and I get a lot of those too, that, you know, it's like, well, I've been shooting since granddad was, you know, whatever, you know, and come in with an open mind because a lot has changed. And I kind of, when I start out with a student like that, I always talk to him about, you know, Hey, you know, I started shooting in the seventies, right? And the way we shot in the seventies is nothing like we <laughs> shoot today. And here's the reasons why these things have changed. So, you know, have an open mind, you know, I'm not going to say blindly accept it because Robert says so, but, uh, but have an open mind. Um, don't assume anything. Uh, if you, if you follow me on Facebook, you see on my little, my little private Facebook page, the bio says, assume nothing, mm. uh, assume nothing. Um, one thing I do see, a, um, uh, people do is they go out and buy a bunch of gear and stuff like that prior to classes, uh, which kind of, uh, gives me a little bit of a, you know, it sets me back a little bit. Don't go out and buy a bunch of gear prior to classes, uh, especially our level one or intro classes. Um, come out, see what works for people. Uh, look at what our instructors are wearing. Uh, there, I, I teach in jeans, you know, and half the time I'm, you know, I'm wearing my concealment rig and I don't have all the battle belt and like, you know, kit and everything else, I guess that people can come out with. Now, if you want to wear that stuff and that's your job, fine, but don't go out and spend a ton of money on these classes. Come out with what you're used to carrying daily, right? Uh, if you do carry daily, uh, don't buy a bunch of gear before class. That's, that's a big thing. Oh, okay. Is yeah, that enough? I mean, that's good advice. <laughs> Coming from the guy who uh, has, I don't know, too too much equipment that I LARP in sitting right behind me. So, <laughs> no, you know, I, you know, trust me, I have it all too. You know, I just don't, you know, this stuff gets heavy though. I mean, oh, uh, my carbine classes, I run a 10 and a half inch suppressed SBR because I don't like carrying a 16 inch gun around all day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. So, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I've, I've, especially as I, you know, age doesn't do anything for us and uh, weight that that whole saying when i was in that ounces you know become pounds and pounds become pain that that becomes true as the boys uh, get older yeah especially when you're in an eight-hour course i mean i have had oh, guys come out in full kit you know and everything and uh they make it through about uh 
about an hour and then all that stuff comes off. Yeah. And about, and all of it comes off. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun. You know, I love throwing on my vests and, you know, playing, uh, I don't know, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. But, uh, you know, I've had to sit down and after buying all that stuff, really be like, Hey, most of the time when I go out to the range, I really should be drawn from concealment. Like, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) You know, uh, it's, it's something I needed to work on myself. Yeah. Um, in a lot of the classes, is in, in a lot of classes, what, what people will find out when they do go out and buy a bunch of stuff like that is what works and what doesn't work. And most of the time, it's what doesn't work, mm-hmm. which is also part of learning. So, Oh, yeah. I've yeah. spent way too much money on stuff that I've either thrown away, lost, or just gave away because it didn't work for me. Yeah. You have your vault of holsters like we all do. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was... You know, I was talking to another another guest, and I, I'm pretty sure I still have my Uncle Mike's from, like, over a decade ago that my SIG P250 sat in. You know, my yeah. first handgun ever. Yep, <laughs> I yep. don't know why. I think I just actually lost it between the move to, to Nashville. But, oh, that's um, a bummer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I wanted to hang it up on my wall. There you go. <laughs> don't do th- stupid things. All right. So I saw you post uh, the other day about decision-based training. Now, it's something... Um, it's hard. It's, it's not always something we're able to do. Like you said, when you have a buddy out there, um, it's a lot easier with a buddy. A lot of times, um, mm-hmm. can you kind of elaborate on, on your decision-based training and what you, what you mean by that? Yeah. Well, uh, one thing that we, we teach is there's some things in our classes that need in, in, in any, in any application that need to be automatic. Right. Uh, we, we, uh, we talk about, you know, learning to drive a standard transmission vehicle, for example, and, and ask if you had been successful doing so when you started. Well, the brain really is a task-oriented organ, right? Uh, it places things in task lists, and uh, we can only perform one thought-based action concurrently. If we go beyond one thought-based uh, action, we tend to fail at something, unless we have gotten to a point where we've created neural pathways in our brain that allow us to repeat a process without conscious thought, right? Uh, AKA muscle memory, right? Uh, You know, the draw stroke, things like that. Those are things that really kind of need to be automatic. So we want to make that kind of stuff automatic. So we have an opportunity to make decisions, right? Because every time you press the trigger in a defensive situation, it has to be a decided action. Because there's consequences, as we've seen recently, to mm-hmm. every time you press that trigger, right? Uh, there are consequences. So you have to make good decisions. Uh, also, we want to also put, our, put ourselves in a position of tactical dominance, right? Where we ha- actually can take control of, uh, of that situation and make good decisions. Uh, sometimes you don't have a whole lot of time um, to make those decisions, but you got to give yourself the opportunity to make those decisions. So. Uh, and not all of the gunfights are the same. I mean, we, we train for every, you know, people train on the square range for, you know, draw stroke, bang, bang, do your scan and assess. Draw stroke, bang, bang, do your scan and assess. Well, uh, reality is if I'm doing draw stroke, bang, bang, scan and assess, that's the worst gunfight I can imagine because we're both getting shot, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, so basically what, what we talk about when we talk about decision-based, uh, decision uh, you know, training is uh, – we have a course that's uh, called the React Defense Course. It's a uh, responsible and uh, applied critical thinking course, React. And uh, it's a force-on-force course where we use um, um, airsoft guns to uh, to basically 
one, be safe, and two, there's some pain feedback if you make the wrong decision. Uh, and and that course is really kind of cool because we don't just frame it like, okay, you're in a movie theater, a guy kicks open the door, what do you do? Uh, we basically take each individual student aside and give them their own little assignment. And we don't even tell you what the, what the scenario is or if anything at all will even happen. We just take each individual over, off to the side and not everybody's armed either. Uh, so what it does is you walk into a situation that, well, hell, we've had people just kind of pass people on the streets, you know, and then that was the scenario. Nothing happened, right? And then we've had scenarios where, you know, you know, uh, somebody would draw a weapon or, or somebody would, you know, pick up their shirt like they were going to draw a weapon, a furtive movement, and then we'd have the student actually accidentally shoot somebody or whatever. But um, we, we force them to make decisions, and it's just as important that they make good decisions as it is to be skillful in applying, uh, you know, the, the weapon as a tool, right? Um, we had uh, one of the React courses a couple of weeks ago where uh, an individual actually was walking out of a hallway, and uh, he was one of the, quote, good guys, and uh, the other good guy who happened to be armed shot this guy four times with airsoft in the chest. And um, he was like, whoops. And I said, why'd you shoot the guy? And he goes, uh, he was there. And uh, so, right. you know, and, and we kind of laugh about that stuff, but things like that can happen in reality. So sure. that's why we kind of put our students in those kind of situations where you really have to evaluate what you're doing. We uh, even, you know, in our Defensive Pistol 1 courses, uh, we have threat recognition and identification uh, exercises where you don't just shoot a target that's in front of you. You may shoot an, a target that's, at, you know, at, at a 60-degree oblique to you that's halfway across the field that you have to identify and engage from, you know, from cover. So we start really, really early with, uh, with decision-based training uh, and not just uh, automating the process of shooting what's in front of you. Because, like I said, if that happens, it's a bad day. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. mean, I think that's, you know, that's awesome that you're you're starting at that low level um, mm -hmm. and, and getting people thinking. Because, um, obviously, this carrying a gun is, it's not just, you have to make a decision, one, to do it. And it's not just something you, you, you pull out and you <laughs> you use willy-nilly, although we have seen uh, a, lot, a lot of that uh, seemingly it's, with these protests and everything else going on. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, it's. Now those, I think those guys could benefit from some of your training. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, that's, that's awesome. What about, um, so, you know, things like, um, you know, do you do any of, um, call outs for, for different targets or anything like that? Kind of get people thinking in that way. Oh yeah. Uh, in, uh, and this goes back to our, we do this in our level one class. Uh, we have an exercise that, uh, that kind of, uh, composes, um, you know, barrier use, barricade use, use of cover, uh, movement uh, to cover, uh, threat identification. So we'll have uh, 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 basically a coach behind the shooter uh, and we'll start out at a barricade and that coach will call out a number, a color, a shape or something, right? And then that would, you know, start the exercise where that individual would have to use the barricade properly identify the threat, engage the threat if necessary, uh, and then make movements, et cetera. And we, we continue that throughout the entire, uh, the entire exercise. That's our kind of level one, 
um, you know, threat recognition thing. It, it kind sure. of task overloads people to the point of failure, which mm-hmm. it's kind of intended to do. Uh, we also have another uh, exercise that we run in our level two course. Uh, it's called the active eight exercise where the, it's more linear, um, you know, back and forth uh, across the, uh, the, the range. And we, we place barricades in random places around the range and the individual student is just kind of walking along like nothing's happening. Uh, and then somebody will call out a threat number, color, whatever. Um, and that student will have to really kind of react and respond very quickly. Uh, and a lot of times it would be, okay, well, if the, if the barricade is here, I haven't found yet that, uh, you know, that threat, but I'm hearing gunfire. So when somebody calls threat, we actually have some people over on the side that'll actually start shooting and, and kind of adding that, that uh, additional level of threat or level of stress. They'll have to make a decision. Do I continue to look around for this, 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 uh, this potential threat, or do I just hit the cover? So, um, you know, it really makes people think about, you know, you know, more reality based kind of training than the square range kind of, you know, point and shoot stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we're pretty proud of that. Um, it's kind of, it's a really yeah, cool exercise. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic that you guys bring it, you know, so early and, and throughout your classes then have specifically a class where you're not even using live guns per se, but you're, right. you know, you're doing nothing but that decision-making. I think that's a critical part. A lot of people overlook it's something I was lucky and I'm sure you were, I mean, that's something the army at least does fairly well where you're reacting, you know, to begin with, it's not like, Right. You know, sometimes I think civilians get used to going out to the range with a buddy, popping off a few rounds. Hey, I'm a good gunfighter now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I always, we, we talk about this in like our concealed permit courses and even as early as intro to defensive handgun, you know, talking about the, 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 the physiological and psychological responses to a threat and some of the psychological responses to a threat are fight, flight, freeze, posture, and submit. And I think we kind of all as instructors know those five responses, but I always kind of preface that with until and unless you've been in a situation, you have absolutely no idea what you're going to do, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and that's why we, we put so much stress and pressure on the, the decision-making part of the course, because until and unless you don't know what you're going to do. And that's what happens when we get into that react defense course, for example, I, hell, I wasn't even in an exercise once I got two rounds to the side of the side of the chest. I'm like, what did you shoot me for? And he's like, well, same, same thing. He's like, well, you were in front of me. Well, you were just d- yeah. And you just killed grandma. <laughs> Thanks. You know, <laughs> but, but you know, like uh, I say, we laugh about it, but those are things that, you know, you know, that, that, sure. that we've got to get uh, ingrained into a student early is, is, is making good decisions. Absolutely. You know? Awesome. Well, that was, that was really, uh, enlightening to be honest. Um, so one last thing, as far as questions go, um, what is just kind of one thing, um, you know, you go, if if you were going out to the range, I know you don't get much time to do it on your own, but you're going out to the range. Uh, what's something that you're bringing with you besides a gun and ammo, obviously. Uh, positive attitude. That's great. (laughs) I, I, I really like that answer actually. That's, that's good. Yeah. It does. Uh, I've gone out to the range in a bad mood and it, it affects your shooting and it makes it not fun. So, Yep. I have yeah, positive attitude. I, I yeah. always make a plan when I go to the range and I encourage my students to do so as well. Right. Uh, if you're going to train things, um, you know, this is what I'm going to work on. Um, 
and I'm going to evaluate myself. Uh, and I'm going to evaluate my students, um, you know, and measure myself. Um, but you got to have a positive attitude. The second, like when I work precision rifle, sometimes I, I, uh, I get a little bit frustrated with some things with precision rifle. I get, if I get frustrated, I get off the gun and I'm done for the day hmm. because there is no point in continuing after you get yourself frustrated. Sure. So, I mean, it's almost like playing golf. Like once I start throwing the nine iron, it's time to try just. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like, forget about it. We're done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's about all for the questions. If you want to hang around and talk about the this product, which is kind of decision-based, uh, um, you're more than welcome to do that. Okay. Yeah. I'll hang around for a few minutes. I got a okay. couple yeah, minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's, so. it, it's real short anyway. I mean, really yeah. all I have is, uh, well, the question. So, um, you know, one of our listeners, uh, Andrew, who's actually out there in Colorado, who should go take some Kanaz, uh, courses, uh, when training, um, you know, outside of a, a class environment, are you focusing on one to two drills or do you go more broad? Uh, that's actually a good question. I just kind of address that and I'll, I'll kind of address it again. Uh, when I, when I go out to, um, to, to the range, I really kind of focus on one specific thing. I don't like. Uh, you know, I don't like going out and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to work speed versus precision and then I'm going to work my barricades. Right. Or I'm not going to, you know, go jump from precision rifle to carbine or anything like that. I, I typically, uh, fortunately I get to go to the range a little bit more than most. So I, I work on a single thing and I concentrate on that single thing. Uh, you know, for example, uh, last week I went out to the range and I started at three yards and I started very slow fire. And my goal was to put around through the same hole, right? Um, and then start working on speed versus precision where I sacrifice some of that precision for speed. And I'll start speeding up those, those shots. And then I add distance and I try to do the same thing again and speed up, you know, the shots. Uh, so I'm working speed versus precision. And that's what I do. I, I'll work all the way out to about 15 yards with that. Uh, and then I'll, I'll evaluate my progress. If I need to repeat or, or fix something, I'll go ahead and repeat and fix that. Uh, I don't like mixing up training. I don't, uh, you know, I don't think it's productive to do so. I, you know, work on one thing. Um, you know, don't overload yourself with tasks because when you get task overloaded, you, you, you know, even in some of our classes, you know, it's like drinking from a fire hose. We don't want to train from that either. You know? oh, yeah, I like that analogy. Uh, thanks Andrew for that question. Uh, I, I think he answered that pretty well. Um, and I, I agree. I try not to, uh, do too many things. Sometimes, you know, we feel like I don't, you know, I, I don't get to get out to the range all that much either. And I want to just work on everything, but, uh, sometimes it's better to just go out with a hundred rounds. And like you said, just work on that slow fire and, and have, have that, uh, that plan and, and accomplish that goal. Um, okay. So, uh, product that I was kind of looking at this week. Um, and I, I stumbled upon it actually after, uh, it's something I had seen before and kind of thought about, uh, but I definitely thought about it after seeing your post, um, uh, is the, uh, this one's actually called the triumph systems range ready pivotal trainer. Um, so basically what it is, is it's a standalone unit. Um, that's got a motor that's shielded by some AR 500 steel. Um, and you have a controller, um, and it basically has two sides of a target, one shoot, one no shoot. Um, so how do you think, uh, you know, do you think that that's something that's effective for, for somebody, um, if you're, you're going out and you, you're like what we had in Colorado, where we could go find some BLM land and we could kind of set up, 
um, our own stuff. Do you think that's something that's, that's worth investing in those, those kind of decision-based training tools like that? Uh, yeah, I do actually. I mean, I, I haven't seen that particular, um, uh, tool. Um, but, uh, anything that we can do where we're, uh, interrupting our brains, you know, unconscious thought to press that weapon out, boom, and press the trigger, uh, and make a decision to press the trigger, uh, I, I think is beneficial. Uh, you know, some will argue with me that, you know, you got to be the fastest on the gun and the first shot usually is the guy who wins the gunfight, you know, and, and I get that, right? I understand that. But very typically, that decision is made uh, well before the weapon's even drawn, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, but if we have the opportunity to make decisions, I, I like the I like that opportunity to make decisions. So any kind of tool like that. Uh, I saw there was one uh, tool that I saw or one uh, interesting um, training tool that I saw uh, where uh, it's hooked up to a computer. There were several uh, silhouette-type targets. And each target, would, you could program it into taking different number of, numbers of rounds to actually make it go down so you weren't just firing two shots or three shots or five shot strings and things like that. So right. that's part of that decision-making as well. When do I stop shooting? Right. Uh, I mean, we always, when we, when we train, I, I always tell my students, you, you, you shoot until threat condition changes and then you make another decision, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so anything that we can you know, use to, to make good decisions, uh, and, and actually kind of pause that automated trigger response. Uh, you know, like I said, people are probably going to get, you know, they're going to flame the hell out of me on this one, but uh, sometimes that trigger cannot be automatic, mm-hmm. right? There has to be a decision to, to, to press that trigger. Sure. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. I think that's something that I've, I've had trouble working in uh, myself because we get so used to doing the the controlled pair or if you're right. you know if it's the 80s the double tap um, right you know just because we <laughs> want to simulate that more than one round but how many rounds you know when is enough enough from you know a piece of paper um it's something we don't really know and uh it's something i've been thinking about with my with my own stuff is like okay i want to break out of that habit of squeezing that trigger twice so it doesn't become an automatic thing um uh, but it's it's a little bit harder so something like that would be cool where it reacts to how many how many uh you know, shots you had. Now, I don't know how you would implement that on like a non very expensive piece of equipment, but. Uh. Yeah. Right. Well, we, what we do in training is uh, we, we start out with, you know, our, our, uh, you know, our single shot so we can, you know, evaluate a student's fundamentals, right. Um, pure fundamentals. Uh, and then we start with controlled pairs and then when they get, once we get that, you know, that speed versus precision down with the controlled pairs, we basically, when I give you a threat command, uh, I tell our students, when we call threat, you shoot a sufficient number of rounds to stop that piece of paper from shooting back at you, okay? But what we want them to do really is mix up their their strings of fire. I don't want you to fire two rounds, three rounds, five rounds. I don't want you to fire the same number of rounds every time you shoot, right? And where we see that is like on our final exercises, we'll see uh, guys who'll come out uh, you know, they'll get a threat, they'll go boom, boom, one, two, and then they'll they'll continue, one, two, continue, or they'll shoot three in a row or whatever. They're always trying to shoot the same number of rounds. Uh, we really encourage, and, and we'll, we'll dock you on that. We'll say, okay, well, one of the problems you had during that exercise was you fired three rounds every time. Oh, yeah, I did, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Right? 
So we try to get you out of the habit of just firing two rounds and quitting uh, and then dragging that gun back into the high center chest like we're all taught to do, you know. Uh Um, You know, so. (laughs) Whatever happened to three years ago where everyone was whipping their heads around real quick, scanning. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, The the cool guy scanning his heads. We actually have a... We have a process, the scan and assess process that we teach. Uh, and when we get into pistol two, it's actually, uh, it's kind of a four-step process thing. We we shoot until threat condition changes, right? Which can mean a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. Threat condition changing means the threat went down. It can mean he ran away, he dropped his gun, he went to his knees, whatever, right? You shoot until threat condition changes and you make another decision, right? Uh and then we actually will we'll start bringing that into, we check the condition of the weapon and we have a special way we kind of bring the weapon into high center chest where we can actually check the condition of the chamber. Um, and then we check ourselves really quick and then we check surroundings. But uh, as we're doing that, when we first learn this concept, we're doing it without moving a whole lot. So it kind of looks sort of like the range theatrics of, you know, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but not quite uh, because we're actually doing something. Uh, when you get into, say, uh, advanced defensive pistol, uh, you better be moving the entire time you, you're checking your weapon and checking yourself and looking at your surroundings and trying to find that covered position to move to to, uh, to, to regain control of that situation. So, uh, you know, so the scan and assess has kind of really evolved into, uh, you know, more reality-based scanning as opposed to just whipping your head around and looking cool on the range. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I I really like uh that you you guys are are pushing students to not to not do the same number of rounds. I think that's awesome. Um you know, I like I said there this product that I brought up, I mean, it's a it's a $600 piece of equipment for one target um and a controller yeah, motor, you know. I mean, it it's expensive, yeah. uh but you know, some people have money and some people want to invest. Like it's something I probably uh would buy. Um if I if I mm-hmm. find a place down here, it's probably something I'll implement into my own training um right just because i think it's it for me i think it would be worth it but uh you know there are other things like the, you, like you, what you talked about with the the squares and the numbers and shoot from different holes on your on your barricade and and stuff right. like that with a with a buddy um to call that stuff out for you um and then there, yeah. you know there's uh, i know like re factory you can buy those right off their website that have the the triangles and the colors and the numbers oh and yeah you can yeah all Great sorts targets. of different ways to shoot that uh you know you just need one friend and uh you know call that out and there you go decision-based training mm-hmm. right there Right, exactly. And, and you know, what we do is, uh, uh, you know, when we teach, we teach uh, shoot uh, center of exposed mass. So we actually will only give you half a target sometimes mm-hmm. and, you know, things like that. We'll we'll spray paint targets red, green, yellow, you know, we'll only give you maybe a quarter of the head to shoot at or whatever. Sure. Uh, sometimes we actually use our own barricades and staple targets behind barricades so you only get like half the target or whatever. So, yeah. Um, which That's you can do on your own too. I mean, if you have a range that allows that stuff, fortunately, Pike Speak Gun Club, you know, if you're a member out there, uh, you can go on the back six and actually, uh, you know, rent out a berm and, and train some of that stuff. Yeah. You know? I, I think people, you know, if you're, if you're in Colorado, I think something like Pike Speak Gun Club, if you don't want to drive down to Canyon city or up into the mountains, I think that's, that's definitely an, an awesome way to go. Um, cause I, we didn't bring this up and we're, you know, we're out of time, but you know what you said that, that, uh, the uh, center of exposed mass rather than that uh, regurgitated center of mass. Cause that yeah. implies that we're aiming at the center of the body. And that's kind of how everyone's taught, you know, all the cooks from the army, that's all they hear. And they pass it on to, you know, uncle, brother, cousin. 
Um, mm-hmm. But you know, adding that center of exposed mass, uh, and you can again, you can implement in, implement that into your training for for super cheap. Give yourself half target and change things up. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, that is uh, about it for the show. Um, everyone, give Robert a round of applause. Yes. I know I am. That yes. was excellent. I know yes. I learned a lot. I hope you guys did too. Um, I really appreciate you coming on, sharing some of those tips. Oh, not a problem. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, if you guys want to check out Robert, where Robert, where can they find you at? Uh, we're on the web at KTG Kilo Tango Golf Firearms dot com. Uh, easier to easier to remember is just Firearms Training dot US. Uh, it'll redirect you straight to the KTG Firearms dot com website. Uh, we're on Facebook under KTG Firearms and Instagram under KTG Firearms as well. Awesome. Well, definitely go follow them uh, if you're in the area or even not. Like I, I know I know need to go back to Colorado for. Uh, finish up a few things from moving so quickly um and i think i'm going to schedule it around the time that you guys are doing some of that uh that reactive training you got going on there very cool yeah definitely uh definitely check him out if you make it get out to his classes um i I, definitely be worth it Um, and other than that we will talk to you guys later